0: Welcome back to the Brothers Book Club Podcast. We're here in our review collection with episode 45, and we're reviewing another Little Black Classic today from the Penguin set. Um, Today we're going to be doing A Simple Heart, which is a short story. I don't think it technically gets to novella levels uh, in terms of word count. I don't think any of these Little Black Classics are that long. Joining me today on the review is Amanda, who, I mean, at this point co-host maybe you know frequent guest
1: <laughs> frequent guest for now i guess yeah free,
0: frequent guest yeah i don't want yeah let's not chisel anything into stone we don't want to make commitments we can't keep up here <laughs> yeah. um after an extraordinary amount of technical difficulties we've arrived i don't know if anyone's ever going to hear this audio recording but let's record it anyway <laughs> amanda what do you say
1: <laughs> sounds good
0: <laughs> yeah, let's take a chance on this pod and see what happens. As I mentioned, we have a short story today by Gustave Flaubert, which I'm going to go with Flaubert. Didn't bother to Google that at all, so apologies for the research department today. they uh taken a nap on the job, as it were, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't look up anything. I had heard of Flaubert I think once or twice, certainly a name that's I don't know, carry some respect to it. Have you ever read any of her his works, any other works, I guess?
1: No, the only one that I had heard of was uh Madame Bovary, and I just knew about yeah. it because my mom was like, "No, you can't read that."
0: <laughs> sure, okay, too scandalous or something?
1: Yeah, cuz it's supposed to be like really sexual or something. I but mm. yeah, when I was started reading this story, that's what was in the back of my mind. So I was like, Ooh, maybe there's going to be some like scandalous language or something in this.
0: Yeah. Give me the, give me the salacious tale. Right. If that's the case, this uh, story gave no indication. Absolutely. none, (laughs) that that would be a part of his uh, thematic or stylistic interest. So we're left to just ponder what could have been, I guess, with uh, Madame Bovary. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that novel as well. It's a great, great reference. I, Had not thought of that in a while. Let's start with our one-sentence simile reviews. This is where we begin by just giving a quick review in the form of a simile. Uh, Go ahead and start us this week with yours, Amanda. What is your review of this story?
1: Sure. Uh, Reading this is like going on a blind date with someone. Your friend is really hyped up for you. Uh, But when you actually go on the blind date, it's like the person is just a a big old just let down where either they're too awkward or shy and just have don't show any personality or maybe you just don't get their sense of humor
0: (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah it's just a real disconnection i went further i actually just totally cribbed off yours because i when i was filling in our our outline here i read yours before i did mine Mm -hmm. and i just tweaked it a little i went a little younger but mine was that reading this was like getting a note passed to in middle school, maybe from a close friend or a potential romantic interest or something, and you hold on to that note and maybe it has a drawing or some kind of decorative part on the front. Mm-hmm. And then you open it and it's just blank, not even like a single one word or just like a drawing or something fun, <laughs> but it's just absolutely nothing inside of it. It's like they forgot to write anything inside. Yeah. I think reading this felt a little bit like that. And perhaps it could be, that could be an outside of the text issue where- uh, I just heard this the author's name a few times, and so I had, I don't know, high expectations going in. It was definitely a, a literary name of some reverence.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think that when I started reading it because of my expectations for something salacious, I just was very much disappointed.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we'll certainly dig into the content of it, it Definitely does not come across those themes in really any moment. Um, Do you think it has any relevance then to 2020? We like to, at the beginning of the pods, make some connections too, if we can. Did Anything relevant, you think, that jumped out in this story?
1: It took me a really long time to kind of figure out uh, what I could apply to it. But talking to Josh, um, actually, about it, uh, my husband, um, then... He actually gave me an idea, which was like, uh, this could relate to anybody who has felt uh, lonely or even felt mm-hmm. unfulfilled in their life in some way. Um, okay. And I yeah. thought maybe the loneliness could be something that people who are quarantined during the COVID-19 stuff, like they could perhaps relate to felicities. Or mm-hmm. Felicite, I guess would be the French way to say it. I was going to
0: go with Felicity, but I mean, we're, again, we're Americans. We're going to butcher this. This is a French <laughs> author. And the, the name of the main character, the protagonist, Felicity, has at least like two or three accents in there somehow. So yeah. I don't I don't know. It could be Felicit yeah, that Tay sound.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, we're going to go with Felicity for now.
1: Cool. Yeah. So, and she, you know, turns to religion and stuff like that to, to fulfill that void. Right. Um, so... Yeah, yeah that's I think
0: I it's it's a good insight too. I think since it's so laser focused on that main character and that's I would agree that it's more of a kind of an isolation story. I think at times in a comedic way, but not often. It's it's a pretty stern, I don't know, tone throughout or pretty straightforward and serious, I would say.
1: Yeah.
0: Um it took me a minute as well to come up with a decent connection because So much of the content isn't, you know, doesn't have much relevance anymore. She's like a, she's a live in maid for a woman uh, who she calls her master. Uh, She has some light connections to her family. They're just elements that societally don't really click anymore. I think the only thing I could think of, and this is a bit of a stretch, is uh, pet, pet love, pet devotion. I mean, we, we do live in a kind of golden age in 2020 of like dog love and devotion. Dogs are now recognized as therapy as therapeutic uh, and the dogs are now allowed on planes for that purpose dogs are used for like post-traumatic stress treatment i'm pretty sure or they're used to kind of like help certain people recover from traumatic incidents Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm not here to weigh in on any of that i have my own opinions on dogs of course um I, I didn't grow up with them, so I guess maybe my opinion is just too biased to take seriously. But uh, I found the devotion in this story to kind of be a comic exaggeration of that. But again, the story doesn't play for comedy very much, if not at all. Um, in the story, it's a parrot, though. So she inherits a parrot from a character. I don't even remember what it was, a family connection or friend of her uh, the woman she works for. Yeah. It was and the, so pe- she... the
1: people who had moved into the neighborhood, uh, during yeah, the okay. July revolution.
0: Ah, there we go. Yeah. I think she takes it a step further because in, uh, light spoiler, which we'll always try and avoid, but this is a pretty light one. All told, uh, the parrot does die of course of natural causes too. It's just, you know, it's an old parrot. Um, and she does have it stuffed, which I think yeah. that takes it to another level. I can only think of one connection to that, which is the TV show Scrubs. I don't know if you ever watched that sitcom. Yeah. But it, but in that show, two of the friends, really the main characters maybe, or at least the main character... Uh, they have a shared stuffed dog.
1: Yeah, that they use it for pranks and stuff, right? Right. Yeah, they yeah they play <laughs> a
0: lot of goofs with it. They bathe with it at one scene. I do remember that distinctly. <laughs> that they have to cl- they clean it or they bathe it as though it's you know alive and requiring bathing. Anyway, so the I thought the parrot was a it's a much more pesky creature to have around. I don't think it's Nearly as worthy as uh our love or admiration as dogs, I also don't know if you can develop as strong a connection to it, but i'm you know i've never um never been a bird I don't want to say owner right it's pet, never been a bird host, so I you know don't can't speak on that directly but um yeah anyway that I think pet connection is the strongest I could come up with
1: it does bring to mind like the uh the people who love their pets so much that they you know dye their fur. Um, oh. and they also get their nails painted they have spa days they have oh. like doggy daycare they've got uh doggy bars like where you can go to a bar and the dogs Wild. like it's specifically for dog owners and their dogs like yeah that it,
0: i've seen in charlotte there yeah. there is yeah. one of those in a neighborhood here um or i mean we both live in charlotte but yeah that i think I think I've seen one of those. Actually, I'm pretty certain I have. I know the state of North Carolina got a little strict a few years back about where they can go, and there are, I think, more limitations now, maybe. Yeah. I could be making that up, but, yeah, no, I think it's the, – the pet love out there is real. I don't know if social media has, like, amplified that or something, but uh, it definitely feels like in my lifetime the adoration of pets has gotten, like, far stronger. Maybe I'm just making it up, but that's how it seems.
1: Yeah, I think the – the bringing the pets out in public is definitely a lot more than when I was growing up. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, I could be, yeah, I don't know if that's my mind playing tricks or forgetting, but it certainly feels that way to me now. I mean, it's, I, I, you cannot go to a brewery and not see a dog. I mean, it's essentially impossible to do that. That seems like ludicrous to think that could happen now. Uh, again, for better or worse, not really my place. I'm not really going to weigh in on my thoughts on dogs. Um, but anyway, that's if you're curious about its relevance, that I think is the best you'll, you'll do. Yeah. Why don't you start us off with some quotes? Let's finally dig into this text that we've been you know, hinting at for a while. <laughs> Did you find any quotes that represented something important to you? Anything jump out?
1: Sure. Um, so I thought I would start with something that was nice, um, something that I actually liked yeah. about the, the reading, so sure. um, I've got here uh, from chapter two, the new moon illumine actually it's not supposed to be illuminated, but I think illumined, part of the sky, oh. and a mist hovered like a veil over the sinuosities of the river. So there are some, he he tends to like the rest of the story doesn't really have a whole lot of um, literary devices, rhetorical devices being used in his, it's very stark the way that he yeah. writes but you do right. get these little clips of just beautiful descriptions like kind of peppered but yeah. it's, it's so rare <laughs> but when he does uh, do something like that I think that it's actually really nice and very well done
0: Yeah, let's just let me just tack on my quote then that was plucked for essentially the same reason. It was from my page twenty nine, and it says her washing board and her tub were on the bank of the Toquez Toquez, and it's a river. She flung her pile of oh geez, how many words am I going to encounter here? I can't read. Is this camises? Is that like a dress or something? Like a washcloth? Well, she. Chemise, chemises, uh, well, she flung her pile of something, clothes probably, onto the ground beside the river and rolled up her sleeves and seized her battle door. The drubbing could be heard in all the neighboring gardens, which uh, was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. The fields lay deserted and the wind rippled the surface of the river. On the riverbed, long strands of weed drifted with the current like the hair of corpses floating downstream in the water. Mm -hmm. Now... And I and it's relevant, I think, quote there and sets the right mood because it's a, a grief moment. She's very distraught over the passing of someone she loved. And so she's, you know, reacting to that and doing her chores. And she kind of shows her diligence. And, and as a character, that's probably her defining trait. Um, and so, but I... I don't know, I'm torn though as I even reread it because I, I plucked that one for the same reason you did that I sort of liked it, it stuck with me. It was one of the few quotes I distinctly remember reading and thinking like, oh yeah, okay, that's you know, kind of intense. Mm-hmm. a creepy image, um, something that you can visualize so clearly. But at the same time, I'm rereading it now and it just, when you have so little, uh, not just imagery, but so little potency in those images in your writing, then when you throw them in, it... I don't know, can be, almost be off-putting to encounter them. Now that I reread it, I wonder if I even think that that's the right quote for the moment or something. Maybe it's like too much. I mean, that reads like something from like a horror novel or something more grim or yeah. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know if it's even the right tone now that yeah. I think on it. Although I did pull it cause I did like it.
1: Yeah. It's, but I mean, it, it, it's meant to be kind of something that's horrific, right? It's, it's after a traumatic event for her.
0: Yeah, it just and then there's no follow up. I mean, there's no yeah. other. The, the literally the next paragraph doesn't keep going with that. It just is. It's tossed aside. That's again. That's where I'm struggling. Where I think in the moment, of course, it felt right. And then you keep reading. You it's just you're just gonna f- drop it by the wayside.
1: Yeah, the lack of transitions and in, in his writing, it it really was irritating to me because yeah. Uh, I was just like, why even have like, because in my version, anyway, it's broken up into chapters, right? And I'm like, what even is the point in having chapters if within those chapters, you go from one idea to the next without building up any kind of like meaning for anything it's just it was annoying to me
0: <laughs> it's all it's all rather flat and it does feel like you're going from one flat surface to the next i guess there are these again interspersed little moments of extreme jolt from you know some kind of tone piece or in that case it was like a simile or whatever uh, yeah and so there are these brief moments but My goodness, they just don't hold up as a whole and certainly didn't give a consistent feeling. Hmm. I will give a quote then. I'll tag on to what you said from 18. Um, This is a description of when she finally kind of discovers religion, which is an essential part of the narrative. It says um, on 18, Felicity's mind was filled with images of paradise, the flood, the Tower of Babel, cities consumed by flames, people's dying and idols cast down which, to be fair, is like a pretty fun list to read. This dazzling recital of events instilled in her a wholesome respect for the Almighty and a profound fear of his wrath. And that's basically it. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of the story comes down to listing things in a manner like that, maybe not literally as a list. And that one, again, I thought it was like, yeah, okay, there's a couple nice twists in there, and it's pretty intense. But a lot of it is just like, here, accept this now, reader. Like, this is, this is then what happened. It's so... Uh, it's so uh, telly, you know, to go yeah. back to that teacher language we like. it's there's not a lot of exploration. I, I don't think it ever again, I mean again, I think the whole point of the story, not the whole point, but an essential character trait is that she is so devout um, uh, devout and like religious, and so I don't need her to have a crisis of faith or something, but there's no expansion on any of those ideas. There's no expansion on, I don't know which like aspects of religion she continues to think about or ponder. And considering we go from like basically beginning of her life to the end to say that then is like this is that's the moment in the story with the religious stuff. The rest of it's just going to be little you know plot details. Yeah. Is kind of like mind blowing to me. Yeah. I, maybe I forgot an entire chunk of the book or something. But I just when I was looking back for quotes, I thought I wanted to pick out a moment that felt undeveloped because a lot of this did. And I guess that's the one I chose.
1: I think that this quote is pretty interesting too because it does show that she has become religious, right? Well, she's always right. been a person of faith in that, you know, she had a rosary and she went to mass, but she uh, didn't actually understand anything uh, about the religion. But the last bits of the story are like her, it, it's the exploration specifically of her religious understanding. So you would think that, Flaubert were, would develop her coming to understand her religion a little bit more rather than just this yeah, piece.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, I think, and I never want to get too, again, I can't ever tell if my mind has just been poisoned by teaching like younger readers and, and trying to like chunk stories out this way or break them down this way. Mm. Um, but I just wonder Like, what's the one-sentence theme of this book? I have no clue. Like, it definitely wouldn't be something about religion, though. I guess it would have to be, just based on the way it concludes and based on... um, that That's like a recurring component is that she does continue to go to masses and, like, becomes... Like I said, pretty devout and there's certain, yeah, there's like certain moments, but then such so much of it is just a kind of extremely dull family drama, but with no drama. Like I don't, how does that work in this at all? Other than to show that she's kind of a silent, meek, loyal person. And that I guess is fine. That certainly came across. I, I don't know. I, yeah, there's just no like insight. I guess I was hoping for more. Yeah. It's odd coming off last week when I was bemoaning that it was like too chaotic almost. I think it was last week the Dostoevsky. I yes. think it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We've been recording these in advance, so I'm, the weeks again are getting confusing. But that was a. Uh, it's just odd to now read these back to back because it's last week was almost too chaotic to pin one thing down. Though yeah. I think you could this week. I don't even know what I'd want to pin down.
1: Yeah, it's. I also struggled with figuring out what the the purpose of his writing this was because I I just mm-hmm. I mean I think that goes back to our our struggle with making the connection to our to the current day, right? Um, but I so I went online to kind of see what other people had thought of as far as like analyzing the story. Yeah, and, and yeah. there was one that talked about um, how it's meant to be about the classism during the time where, but I felt like that was yeah. not a correct yeah. analysis because there's no comparison to like her, Madame Obain is her mistress and she doesn't like, there's no.
0: Yeah. I, and, and there's forth. ways to now that you've, and this is the, this is why criticism can be so helpful, right? Like now that you say that I rethink parts of the story and the structure and whatever, now I have ideas, but you could argue, I suppose, then, that because she's so close to these two um, children that the madame has, and so she's kind of their caretaker for a bit. So you could argue that by structuring it with so little interaction with the kids, I mean, again, we're basically just told, told, told right. that, oh, she really cares for them. Oh, she really loves them. They don't do anything together. They don't even talk. They're, I mean, there's basically little dialogue in the entire story anyway, but- and so you could say then maybe your argument would be, well, structurally that that distance in the narrative shows how how isolated she is from them. And I I guess I mean, I you know, you can always make some roundabout arguments that way with the structure. But if that's the case, there should be I mean, a, just literally give me a paragraph or something in here to just hammer that home, like mm-hmm. with some just give me something to chew on. Like, I you know, if you're going to make the whole narrative distant or cold to reinforce some kind of theme in that way or, you know, class critique, whatever. Uh, sure. I guess in that, in this case, then it failed. Like I, I would need it to be much more direct to affect me, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting though. I I hadn't looked up any, uh, the back of the penguin cover for what it's worth says, that it's a meditation on the unexamined futile life of a servant and her and then it, and then of course the great tease and her beloved parrot the parrot doesn't even show up until about nine tenths of the way through the story yeah. which was like maddening to me I thought the whole thing was going to be a little more comedic and like maybe this parrot would show up and make their lives really weird or I, I don't know I was expecting something it shows up for like five pages or ten or whatever
1: yeah and that's definitely the best part of the story I think is, so too is yeah. her interactions with, and it, it's also like the the only interaction she has where she's not uh com- like judged or anything like that. I suppose it's is the only time that she's not actually isolated is when she's interacting with this parrot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, that again could be part of the. I think she's supposed to seem like this. I don't know if it's like pitiable, but this kind of in a way pathetic. I, I can't push it that far though. I don't want to go fully that way because I don't think. Again, there's just not enough narrative around her that I think the author wants us to feel to like look down on her in a negative way. But I, I do think she's definitely not a heroic or inspired type of character. Right. And so I think yeah, that it's just it's too little too late with the parrot at the end. But I think it. I think the rest of the narrative is supposed to come across that way with us yeah. viewing her that way. Doesn't make for fascinating reading. I. I will say that. I yeah. think um, I pulled one more quote and then let's. Um, let you take us out of here with any that you thought were good. I'll mention this briefly because we've just covered so much of the language and how it was written that I maybe didn't take to. There's one part on 46 where it's at the end of the story and she's basically in this sentence. I'm not going to read it now that I look back at it because it does spoil a lot of the things in case any of you listeners are going to go find this. Um, basically, she's remembering all the main events of the story, the whole plot, essentially. And then it says, it. Uh, the memories came flooding back to her like the waves of an incoming tide welling up inside her and taking her breath away. If a student wrote that, and I was tutoring them, I would tell them to change it that it, and it was really cliche. Like I, and I don't know how many other moments there were in here where I thought that exact criticism, but enough of the language was dull enough that I, it's not an unfair note for the whole book where it's just, there's nothing particularly unique about reading this. At least I didn't find there was. Mm -hmm. And I, it could be that, you know, those images, you know, the, the tide metaphor and then the taking your breath away verbiage, like, Maybe he pioneered that. Maybe he even made that up. I I don't know. I mean, cliches have to start somewhere. But I think as writing, it's just, those are just not gripping sentences to read. I mean, especially now since those have become so, I don't know, trite or cliche. So anyway, I just wanted to read that off um, quickly. I don't know if that again is, I can't say that the text is rife with that stuff, but it was enough to pluck one of them out and think it's the writing is kind of just all this way.
1: That's so funny that uh, you pointed that out because when I was reading up on um, Flaubert on Wikipedia, I was talking about yeah. he, they,
0: yeah, it, research department.
1: Yeah, <laughs> The, uh, woof woof. The, the, um, the research indicated that actually they, uh, some, one of the other writers said that he is a uh, Flaubert is a slave to his style and his, authority aesthetics to to the point huh. where he uh, would rework and revise his stuff like obsessively because he did not want to use cliches and he wanted to avoid uh, that kind of language and right, he wanted right. to stick to realism because he thought you know that was you know whatever the best way to write at the time so yeah, yeah. which it i mean to be fair, this is a very – the way that he wrote this story is is very much like reading <laughs> a day-to-day journal entry of a not very interesting person <laughs> with not yeah, a whole lot yeah. of emotion.
0: <laughs> Though I think, gosh, it's you're right. That comparison immediately jumps to mind, the diary yeah. way. But I feel like with a diary, at least you get some some raw stuff. You just get some raw – internal psychology and there's just none of that here i mean or at least it's so little i you know you have scraps here table scraps of amounts were there any other quotes you want to cover you got another one to do before we move on
1: Uh, no i think we we did a pretty good job
0: okay yeah i think we plucked some good ones as you know we try and give a good overview there and go a little bit deep and i think yeah i appreciate you doing that research it's I, you know, taking authors in their moment is important. We obviously here don't do a ton of historical context. And that's kind of the point. Like, I don't think a modern reader would do that either, frankly. Right. Like, I don't think many people are going to go to their, you know, university library and start digging up the old criticism. So I think we've done a fair representation in that way. Um right. But yeah, I mean, there's no question. I, you know, I'm not a scholar of Flaubert. I'm sure he did a bunch of revolutionary things, yada, yada. I'm also not going to be one that, who stands up too much for realism. It's never been my favorite literary moment, mm-hmm. uh, though I think it has some st- intriguing stuff within it. But it's definitely not something I cling to is like, oh, this is the pinnacle. Um, so maybe that was why I felt so cold. Why don't you take us into the literary corner today then, Amanda? This is our educational moment. we got to carve out some time for some teaching of some kind. You picked a term I'd never seen, so why don't you start there? I have no (laughs) idea what this is, though I did know what Bildungsroman was, but I have no idea what this word is.
1: So, yeah, so what I was thinking um, was the Bildungsroman, but one of the aspects of a Bildungsroman is the development and the growing up and the maturity of the character. But I felt like uh, Felicity didn't really mature that much there was not much as far as growth that the reader could see yeah um so um what i chose was enviklungs roman is how sure. i believe it's pronounced um okay so it it is about so it's a it's a kind of bildungsroman where instead of it being the person is developing into a more mature person there, it's just about following a person's life and somehow there's development but not necessarily a sense of maturity in the person.
0: Oh, okay, interesting and I think I think you could see her you could easily portray her or analyze her as like a very very infantile character yeah there's just no and I guess the lack of dialogue in the story doesn't do her any favors in that regard because you just never there's no kind of like banter with anyone else. so You can't really know what a hundred percent, how she deals with others. Again, there's a couple just summary sentences of what she says and does to other people. But yeah, there's just such, I don't know, such little specifics or so few specifics rather that, yeah, I, I she does come across as extremely childish.
1: She does. And even so going back to like the religion, right? So she, from the beginning, she's, uh, a devout Catholic, but it's not until like midway that she starts to develop an understanding of what yeah. um like things are, except for she said that she has the hardest time with the Holy Ghost, right? Because it's not a person. It's not something that is like material, right. but, but just an abstract concept, um, which is what plays in with the parrot. But that, so you start to see a little bit of like, oh, that's a, as a that's like a kind of development, right? Where she's starting to uh, better understand some aspect of her her life and her ideas, but then she still can't quite get past that, <laughs> that yeah. point to really understand and to become a, an actually like a mature person in any way, really. I mean, she at one point she the Flaubert, one of the the few funny things where he kind of pokes fun at her and her ignorance is she thinks that, um, Cuba, I believe is, could be reached, um, by land from France.
0: Right. (laughs) I thought you were going to pull, I pulled the same. I was just going to predict, but I wanted to hear you go first. I thought you were going to say the map comment about if you could see the person's house on it. Yeah. yeah, That's another good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. These geographical (laughs) ignorance moments. Uh, yeah, there's, and it, and maybe that is class commentary in a sense. I don't know. I mean, again, I think this this does strike me as one where if you want to bring that reading to it, I'm on board. But you are doing you, the reader. I mean, are doing so much heavy lifting that I just don't see it as a text that deserves it. I guess, like I, you know, in the, in that regard, almost anything could be read in in a certain critical lens. I just think. This, this gives you very little to, to play with, especially with the madame, like you said earlier. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that, yeah, that term applies here well. Mine was, uh, at best, tangential connection, but I did have a question, at least for you with it. I found uh, and rediscovered the term grotesque which, in a literary sense, started getting used in the 1700s and that's from the penguin like literary dictionary in the age of reason and neoclassicism. Um, it commonly was used then to denote things that were ridiculous, freakish, and unnatural aberrations from the desirable norms of harmony balance and proportion and to be clear a lot of the times those had to do with physical deformities Mm -hmm. or they had to do with like imbalanced gender roles so it's like hey this woman's acting like a man or that man's acting like a woman so ideas that you know in 2020 probably don't have a lot of play anymore but i was just thinking even more broadly like i think grotesque is still a word we use to just mean more kind of like Disgusting or um, right. almost like visceral in a way, mm-hmm. like gross. And so the parrot then could maybe be read as a, this brief injection of something grotesque into the narrative, especially at some point when it's dead and has maggots on it. I mean, which is a sentence in there that goes out of the way to point out. Um, It's a story that's so reserved to the point of being boring, I think. Um, Why do you think it's injected in that way? What was the purpose of the parrot, which was the only like hint of something flavorful in this text?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I had thought about that as well as what is the (laughs) purpose of the the parrot? But I think because I was reading the parrot as tied Very much connected to her religious understanding and her loneliness as well. It's the need for that fulfillment. And her need is so consuming for her that I think that he's just pointing out that she would have accepted like anything at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the desperation of her isolation.
0: Maybe that is the, as the penguin cover has it, the futile part then it's maybe meant to be. And again, I always hesitate. I don't think we're meant to be poking fun at her. It also doesn't feel totally tragic either. It's, it's like it couldn't pick a tone or something, but yeah, yeah, I think it, it does come across as like pathetic in the sad way though. There are moments in little stories where it it almost seems more playful. Like, oh, she's at least got a buddy. But, you know, the buddy is a parrot that clearly has no regard for her, you know, very little anyway. So, you know, it's a bird. Um, No disrespect to friends of birds out there. Bird uh, hosts, as it were. (laughs) Yeah, I think... And I'm just going to transition this right into the What's Good About It segment. This is the My Grandfather Russell French In Memoriam What's Good About It segment. Let's say one positive thing before we review this book then. I think the parrot moments were the best. It kind of did sparkle a little. There were certain scenes that were at least a touch comical. And I think it gave the character Felicity just some things to do. It also kind of represented kind of a microcosm of her whole development. I think if you want to read into the commentary on her and her personality the and the meaning of that a lot of it can just be distilled into the parrot parts which is like again for me it was like the final 10 to 15 pages so Mm -hmm. i think that part kind of did pick some things up
1: yeah i agree those were definitely the best parts and and what i enjoyed about the story um, would be the, the little flashes of humor. Sometimes he like Mm-mm. pokes fun at some things and some descriptions are kind of funny and he's got some nice descriptions, a couple of nice descriptions. And we definitely understand Felicity, I feel like, as a character. So I think he did a pretty good job um, with kind of showing certain whatever aspects that he really wanted to hone in on. I think we got a good sense of her.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I would you definitely won't leave the story wondering like, and who was that character really? I think it's <laughs> yeah. it's a clear it's a clear portrayal of of a person living a certain life that I think we've detailed enough. Why don't you start off with the ratings then, since we just heard from you about the the good things? What do you think then? What are you going to rate this one to three scale?
1: I've really struggled with this. Um, I was going to say a two, but after talking with you i'm gonna i'm gonna say one i'm gonna yeah
0: let's not be afraid man i don't care yeah. if i get hung out and the the literary like illuminati comes come <laughs> because i know this is again this is just an author's name that um if as you and i have you, you took your your english mastery to the master's level but i <laughs> just have you know my degree whatever but like yeah I, this is a name i've heard a lot and seen if people think this is an egregious rating then whatever but go ahead Why why is it a one then
1: So despite the flashes of like brilliance that we see as far as some of his humor and his characterization, it's just not, it doesn't draw the person in, whether it's the plot and the style. I think all of that is just, it's, it's not interesting to me it just was not interesting to me and i don't think that a whole lot of people if they're being honest with themselves (laughs) will be terribly interested in this story either um and the interesting parts are at the end and you just have to kind of drag yourself through to get to those parts and then once you get to those parts you're like what is the purpose of those parts um yeah so yeah, yeah the transitions say...
0: you highlighted earlier too if we wanted to look for a kind of pinpoint criticism and we yeah. could do more quotes i don't think we need to in these reviews though but yeah that i that stood out to me dramatically there's there's often one sentences transitions in this story that just feel like ludicrous like yeah. w- wait what we're jumping where now and why exactly. like you didn't even finish that we're not gonna develop that thing you just introduced we're just abandoning it already like it's Egregious. It's a one for me as well. Completely. I. It's bizarre too because I really thought the ones were going to be for me reserved for either poetry I detest, which poetry can be hot or cold. Yeah. Or for me, the only other really strong ones, I guess Dostoevsky was last year or last week rather. I. Was honest with myself on that one, I guess. Um, maybe had too many glasses of wine before that one. That that seems more like a two now to me, now that I think back <laughs> yeah. on it. Um, I don't know what I was thinking then. But no, it's a one for me. It's a do not read. One means do not read. And yeah, I thought this was going to be more reserved for like really ancient stuff, which I often bounce off of. I have a really hard time with like, rough translations of things written before, you know, Mm 1000. And so a lot of it's been that the ones, this is a one though. I couldn't believe how disinterested I was in it. And I, like, like you pointed out, I clinged to every moment of, I don't know, like rhetorical flourish. I just like desperately hung to it. And I think I was just trying to talk myself into it as well. The ending was kind of touching and it had like 90% of the imagery in the whole book basically is like yeah. the last three paragraph. Like it definitely gave me an ending where I pause and reread. It was like the only time I reread the whole, in the whole story. Cause I actually wanted to like consider some of the images and like the way there's a lot of religious stuff going on and these kind of, it's this really heightened scene, and anyway, so I, you know, that was I guess gripped me. Yeah. But my yeah. goodness, I it's remarkable how overstuffed this is. It's literally her entire life. I think that's where it fails the most. Right. I think what I want from a short story is a such a small snippet of time, which is a, that was an accidental iteration that annoyed me as I said it. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Um, <laughs> Totally unintended. Um, No, I think it's just overstuffed. When I think of a short story, at least what to me I desire about them is a such specific and like weirdly specific slice of life this was everything and none of it was good like yeah. none of it was developed enough it was bizarre looking back on it um if you wrote about the parrot only for 40 pages like give me a call i'd be fascinated <laughs> to see what that short story would be uh, the the family things with the two with the daughter and the son maybe the relationships with them sure that's a short story right. the failed son the, the son ends up becoming kind of a not an outcast figure, but kind of a disappointment. That's a short story, perhaps, mm-hmm. and her relationship with him, maybe. I just yeah, I it's so overstuffed.
1: Yeah, I agree. If if he would have just concentrated on one aspect of like the it, the relationship with her uh the lover, right? The the failed love. Mm-hmm. And then we get that little tidbit as they pass by the house of the of Madame, whatever her name is, right? The one that yeah he supposedly ran off with like and then he just like leaves it trailing and we never that's never resolved like we don't know (laughs) what yeah (laughs) but even so yeah there's just so many things where if he would have just there were many like little hooks that could have been really great short stories that just never developed
0: and I think, too, let me throw up one more literary shield for ourselves since we're, you know, taking down a literary titan or whatever. <laughs> but I think then, and I always hate this form of criticism because it strikes me as a little too meta, but if it's if somebody came back to us and said, yes, but that's the point is that everything in her life is unresolved. Her life is supposed to be unfulfilling. That's the portrayal. Then don't make me feel that way. Like the reader doesn't have to feel how the characters feel. That's like... That's such a bizarre exercise. I find that argument always to be so off putting. Mm-hmm. It feels very modernist, to be fair, or not modern, post modernist, kind of, yeah. um, where it's like, yeah, but the reason I made it so off putting is so you feel that way, get it? And it's like, I don't, that doesn't seem to me how art has to be. Like, it doesn't, I don't know. Again, that feels like post modern weirdness to me. Um, and I've never fully grasped or clung on to that kind of. Criticism. Also, it's very unlikely he intended it that way since he didn't write it in the postmodern period. So, whatever. Just leave me alone with that criticism. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. He, he probably <laughs> just wrote a pretty bad short story here, I think. <laughs> uh, the other remarkable thing before we just hit the escape button on this pod is it did say on the back of the Penguin cover that it is Flaubert's most famous short work, which is oh, really? incredible. I think I'm good then. Yeah. What? I don't. Maybe, maybe somebody will read or somebody will convince me on uh, Madame Bovary one day and I'm. I'm open-minded. I don't, you know, I'm not going to judge really any author completely based on one thing. But wow, I was so disinterested in this. I, it's, yeah, this is disappointing. But hey, I'm kind of excited by the disappointment. Sometimes it's uh, intriguing to get back to a one-zone.
1: I was very surprised that, um, to hear you say that the that this is the the most famous of his short stories. I had actually um, tried to read. Madame Bovary uh, a few years ago and I got to like the first couple of paragraphs and I just yeah. had to put the book down because I was so not into it at that time. Yeah. And Interesting. I'm wondering if it's just his style that I'm not interested in perhaps. Yeah. Now I want to go think back gonna... and like look at it. And of and course. See, but...
0: <laughs> yeah. Bring it, bring a new perspective. Honestly, I'm going to end this review episode with one simple kind of, I'm going to give an olive branch to the non-readers out there. This is, I felt reading this as someone who, again, has their college degree in English literature, I felt reading this how people who tell me they haven't read a book in like a decade and they'll say things like story, like reading is boring. I felt, I think how they feel when I'm like, just read the hunger games or something like just read Harry Potter. I don't know. Just try anything. My God, do something. And they're like, no, reading's boring. Um, I felt that way reading this, like deeply unimpressed, which if I'm going to at least not be entertained or intrigued, at least impress me. I didn't feel any of those while reading this. You know, it's like at least when I read James Joyce, I'm like, I don't think I like this, but I'm impressed because you just did like a hundred things in a couple sentences. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, this, I don't know, this just did nothing for me. So respect all you non-readers out there. Hopefully we'll persuade you on another episode. And until then, we will see you between the classics.